Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth. I'm a marathoner, coach, and answer seeker. When I first started running at the age of 29, I had so many questions and what felt like nowhere to turn to for answers. And now I'm here to answer all your running questions about anything that you might want to know. If you're a new runner or you've been doing this for a long time, there's always something more to learn about running. So let's get started. My guest this week is physical therapist, Dr. Leah Avery. Leah has been a practicing PT for nearly a decade, which is also as long as she's been a runner. Prior to that, she was a competitive swimmer since the age of eight and swam as a D1 All-American swimmer and competed at the Olympic trials. Leah's relationship with running was heavily influenced by her experience as a competitive swimmer, where she would obsess over fear of failure and be paralyzed by the expectations she was putting on herself in races and in training. After a series of panic attacks and not just one, but two marathons, Leah realized that her relationship with running and the expectations she was putting on herself were not healthy. And that performance anxiety and how she conquered it is what we're talking about today. But before our conversation gets started, just a couple procedural notes as we are reaching the end of this calendar year. Thank you so much for listening to the Running Explained podcast in 2023. This is the second to last episode of the year. The final episode of 2023 will be airing next Thursday, December 28th. We'll be off for one week. And then the first episode of season four of the Running Explained podcast will debut on Thursday, January 11th. Leah, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. So you are a physical therapist, but that is not going to be the focus of our conversation today. But before we dive into the meat of our talk, tell us a bit about yourself, how you became a PT and how you became a runner. Yeah. So uh, basically, I was a swimmer growing up, competitive swimmer for a long time. Um, And that's really what got me into physical therapy, just kind of seeing the other side of sports and, you know, injuries as being a competitive athlete, getting an injury, you know, it's just like you think at the time the worst thing that could possibly happen to you. So I thought, let me get into this because I want to help people who are in that situation. Um, So yes, got into PT school. And then basically after I graduated undergrad, retired from swimming, immediately started PT school and I needed something to do um besides pt school as if that wasn't enough but i needed some kind of physical outlet so i just started running and yeah started running and i thought you know i could maybe do a marathon totally winged it do not recommend that <laughs> and then i've been doing them ever since so about 10 years i've been running and been a pt for about 10 years too now so yeah and I know a lot of the work that you do on your Instagram page and in telling yeah. your story, it's not, you know, obviously as a physical therapist, doctor physical therapy, like, yeah, you're like, yeah. I can rehab your injury. I can diagnose <laughs> you. I can, I can train you. I can yeah. do all these things. But I know a lot of what you talk about is essentially this journey that you've had with your relationship with sport and yeah. especially healing from the relationship you had with sport as a swimmer. So go yeah. ahead and talk to us about that. Yeah. Um, so really, I tell people when they ask me how I got into running, I did not get into running for the right reasons. And I'm very open about that. I used it as a way. So as a competitive swimmer, I mean, I started doing doubles at the age of like 14, I think, and continued that all the way through college. Um, So I was used to exercising for like, you know, non-exaggeration, five hours a day, you know, two hours in the morning, two hours in the afternoon, an hour of dry land, six days a week just 24 seven swimming. So I needed something in my mind to burn calories. 
period. So that is really why I got into it to start out. Um, and then it kind of grew into this obsession of how can I get better? I still want to burn these calories, but I also want to get faster because I was at the, you know, peak of my swimming career and then I just stopped. So I needed something to make me feel good about myself, something that made me feel like I was accomplishing something. And that was really the only way that I felt like I could survive is if I had something that I was accomplishing at all times, you know, and here I am going to get my doctorate. But to me, that that wasn't enough. Like I had to have something that I could accomplish at all times. Um, so yeah, it really kind of turned into this unhealthy, I have to be good all the time. Otherwise there's, I have no value, no worth. Um, so yeah, that's really and truly why I jumped into running, you know, about 10 years ago. Um, a lot, a lot has changed since then. Um, but that's originally, you know, kind of where it stemmed from. It feels like this double-edged sword when you're young and you're good at something and it, whether it's a, a sport that you're really good at, cause I know you went to the Olympic trials, right. For swimming. And I want to talk about yeah. that or whether it's something like you're a math prodigy or you're a music yeah. prodigy, but when you're young and you're really good at something, it sets up this weird expectation. Like yeah. I think you've experienced that you like and the, the tough thing is I'll say, and I'm not an athletic prodigy, but I, I was musical um, from a very young age growing up. Yeah. And it's the, it's like when you have a level of natural ability at something and mm-hmm. you just put in a little bit of work and you get this huge outsized result compared to a lot of your peers, it sets mm-hmm. up this weird kind of feedback loop in your head of like, oh, I just have to try a little bit and then I'll get all these massive, like, you know, a, a, you know, commendations and awards and like, I'll be so much better than everybody else. Um, but when you're in this little, literally sometimes in this little pond of like you and like your neighbor kids, and then you grow up and and it becomes, it becomes harder and harder, I think, to stay competitive. And I see this with a lot of, um, you know, athletes who essentially were the big fish in their school and then they go to college. Right. And now they are, it's just college is just all big fishes right now. You're on a team with big fishes and you're the youngest big fish. And it's just this weird Mm -hmm. thing that I don't think that we talk to uh, talk about enough with our developing athletes, especially our adolescent, um, our, especially our, our female athletes, but adolescent athletes in general, that this pressure cooker that they've been in where it's like, Mm -hmm. Obviously you put in the work, right? It's not yeah. saying that these things or these accomplishments are handed to you, but you put in the work and you get all these amazing results and state records and yeah. school records and all this thing, but that's not sustainable. So if we're, if we're accustomed to always essentially being the best at everything that we do with like a moderate amount of effort, yeah. what happens when that stops working? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think that the hard thing, like young, like you said, like these young athletes, what happens is, is like, for me, it was, yes, there is this constant pressure. And so yeah, you know, big fish, little pond, everybody was looking at me. And then going to college, the same thing was happening. And, you know, like, if I didn't do well, it wasn't just me that knew I didn't do well, you know, everybody knew I didn't do well. So I couldn't, it was just a constant feeling of I have to do this in order to be good. And, you know, when you do good, then everybody praises you and then you feel worthy. And if you grew up only having that and then it's gone, it's like you don't know how to function. 
So the same thing happened when I started running. It was like, I had to do good, but literally no one cares. Like nobody knows how fast I'm running, you know, but I could not get over this idea that I had to be fast all the time. Like every race had to be good. If it wasn't good, it was a waste of time. If I wasn't running every run perfectly, waste of time. And then it would just send me into this spiral and, you know, we can get into this. So I, I, you know, I started having panic attacks when I was doing marathons because, you know, you're out there for four hours under this extreme amount of pressure. When I'm used to swimming my event, I did the 100 and 200 brushstroke. So it lasted like two minutes, like <laughs> very different to be freaking out for two minutes versus four hours, you know, but I would be out there on every run thinking I have to go fast. I have to hit this pace. If I don't hit this pace, it's a horrible run that I'm a horrible runner. And if I'm a horrible runner, I'm a horrible person. It's not worth anything to me, you know, just this constant battle of trying to find how worthy I am just by how fast I can run. And it, it really, really kind of exploded on me, I would say, in the last like three to four years is when I realized, okay, wow, like you have to get some help. And I, I really had to, to go to therapy in order to figure out like where these deeper issues were, were coming from. Um, but I, I think a lot of runners are so wrapped up in this time. Like they think that they have to have this time and it has to be a PR in order for it to be worth something. You know, I hear a lot of people say like, oh, I'm afraid to do another race because what if it's like a waste of time? What if I don't go fast enough? And it's so not a waste of time. <laughs> like, okay, yes, it is unfortunate when you train for, you know, four to five months, say if you are doing a marathon and you don't get that PR and in that four hour span, but you can't dictate how good you are just on that four hour span. You have to look at everything else that you have done. You have trained for a marathon, you know? And I think a lot of people also think that like, once the race is over, like that training block is gone. Like poof, as soon as I hit the finish line, that training doesn't mean anything anymore. No, <laughs> it doesn't work that way, you know? And I feel like we just get so focused on that goal and then we just let it go if it doesn't go perfectly at the race. Um, it is so common. And I, and I yeah. see that all the time too. And it's interesting to think about when, like logically when you think about it, like, of course it wasn't a waste of time, but yeah, the race yeah. doesn't go the way you planned, or maybe you, yeah. you know, something like it was a disaster, right? Like we, yeah. we all are going to have races that are disasters. And, you know, something I've been talking about a lot of my, especially my more experienced athletes is that, look, mm -hmm. the longer that you're in this sport, the less likely those magical races are going to happen, yeah. right? Yeah. Like it's yeah. just, if you race enough and you race and you are in this sport, even just runs, right? It's not even necessarily right. racing. You're in this sport yeah. long enough. You are probably on balance going to have more yeah. races that are not great than races right. that are like, that was amazing. And if this is not your experience, like that's awesome. Hold on to that. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, I, yeah, I've heard that too. Like, oh, I didn't PR. I feel like my training was a waste. Oh, yeah. I didn't, you know, I, you know, I blew up at mile 18 or like in half marathon, I blew up mm -hmm. at mile nine. You yeah. know, I feel like I, I'm a failure. I feel like I'm not good enough. I feel like mm -hmm. you said my training blocks over. Like, I feel like I'm starting over again because right. you know, all these things. And it, you know, I think it's really interesting that we are equating not not just, and I think it's tough to say, you know, somebody can look at this and say, well, of course I don't equate my times to my self-worth, 
but you do. Like if you're approaching, you do. Like if you're approaching, if you're, if anything that you've said about a, a result that you've had has thought like, well, I, you know, it felt like it was a waste of time or it felt like, you know, I failed. Then you are essentially equating what happened on race day with how the worth that you like, obviously, obviously your training still means something like you did all the work. You know, yeah. What is yeah, that? Absolutely. What what do we have this cognitive dissonance about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just. I think it comes down to why do you feel like you have to run fast in order to be proud of yourself? Like, why is that? You know, and I and for the first time this year, you know, if if people follow me, like I so I ran the New York City Marathon, um, and the last two marathons I did before that, I had a horrible panic attack. And I had to get help and like, I had to stop at the medic tent and a person with a psych on their shirt came over to me because it was so clear that I was having a panic attack. And I didn't know that at the time. Like, I didn't know that that's what that was. And it turns out I'd been having this for a long time, but I was just like, oh, I'm just kind of freaking out, you know, calm down a little bit. Like, that's, that's not how that works. And so, yes, I ran the New York City Marathon the first time ever done it. And I did not PR at all. I mean, I bombed the last six miles. They were horribly painful, like terrible. But I had the biggest smile on my face and I had so much fun because I was proud of where I had come from and I didn't care. Of course, I wanted to run a PR. Like, yes, it's been five years since I've gotten a PR and I'm not giving up yet. But, you know, I can still be proud of all of that that I had done to get to that point. You know, and I had never really believed that before. You know, people would say, oh, just be proud you're at the start line. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not going to be proud unless I can go a fast time. But I really had to, like, dive into and figure out why is it that I can only feel like I'm proud if I go fast. And it really came down to kind of having these, like, irrational thoughts, like, in my mind, like, you know, it's how I would start to spiral. So if I wouldn't go fast, I would think, oh my gosh, I'm a bad runner. And then I would think, okay, I need to do better. So what can I do to do better? And then if I take more time away from my family, then I'm a terrible mom. And then I'm a bad wife, you know, and doing all these things. And it would just keep spiraling and spiraling. And what I realized is that if I'm out there running and I start to feel like, oh my gosh, this is going to be bad. I'm like, it's okay. It's just bad. run. Like period. That's where it ends you know, but we don't let it in there, you know, and that's really what I had to start doing was like, it's a bad run, period. Like that doesn't make me a bad person. That doesn't make me unworthy. That doesn't mean I didn't work hard. It just means that it's a bad run. Boom. Like it has to end there. And I think that we care so much and that's where we start to get wrapped up in all of that. Because we want to go fast, we start caring and then it just kind of spills over into all the other thoughts that we have. And I'm not a psychologist, not not a counselor, but, you know, I spent a lot of hours doing it. And just that's what I've learned is that we can't separate the two. We can't just say, okay, bad run, period. That's it. Move on. You know, and like that's what I try to tell like the runners that I work with. If you have to skip a run skip the run and be okay with it. Like to me, what would happen was I would have to skip a run due to my, I have a toddler at home. He would wake up or work schedule or whatever. I didn't feel good. And all day I would be stewing over how I skipped that run. 
until I got the next run in. And then I had to make sure that I made up that total mileage at the end of the week. And I wasted so much energy. If I just skip it and I'm going to skip it and that's it. You know, same thing like I talked about, bad run, boom, over. Like skip the run, move on. Because the amount of energy that you are taking up to skip that run is outrageous. And that's really kind of what had happened to me like with these panic attacks is that I was up here all the time, just so stressed about trying to do so good that think about the stress that a marathon puts on your body and your mind, the whole system. So you're up here already and then you put a marathon on top of it, your body's going to say, no, ma'am, like (laughs) I'm shutting this down. Like we don't have the... And you have like the best visual of like your stress tolerance. And so if you are constantly stressed about trying to have a perfect run, never skip a run, you're going to be up here. And then you add a stress of a run on top of it. Like, no, (laughs) your body's going to say, I I know it's not going to happen. And then it's just going to keep going and going and going. Did you, (laughs) did you notice that you were having more, like performance anxiety in advance of certain runs or workouts or races. Oh, yeah. Cause that's, that's a big one that I hear a lot of people they are like, you know, they'll get basically yeah. debilitating levels of anxiety before certain yeah. workouts. Or I even had different. runners text me before races and be like, I am so freaked out. I don't even know if I want to do this race. anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so I think I did a reel about this. I think it's the one I pinned actually like, so I was having, starting to have like physical symptoms, like GI upset. And so it was Chicago of, I guess it was 2022. Yeah. Um, I went and like, I had to go outside and it was cold that year. I had to go outside and like walk in 30 degree temperature at night in Chicago because like I couldn't breathe. And I kept telling my husband, like, I feel scared. And I, you know, some of my other family members, like they would ask, do you feel ready? And I'm like, I feel scared. And like, what do you mean you feel scared? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just scared. And that's what it was, is I was so afraid that another, because the year before that I had a bad marathon too. And so I was so afraid that if I had another bad one, like it would just further, you know, put me in this hole. And so, yes, I mean, I was to the point I've like vividly remember being outside. It was like September, the mid September. And I did like a 30 minute run and I could barely run, you know, and I had trained, I had an awesome build up, like great 20 miler. And then the next week I couldn't, I couldn't run. And I, I had this like realization the other day. So I was outside running in the dark and, you know, sometimes it's fine, but sometimes you hear stuff and it freaks you out. (laughs) So I heard something in the bushes and it was like a really quiet morning and it, it startled me. And like, I couldn't run because I was scared. And it's the exact same like process is that you, your body just stops. So, you know, it's that fight or flight, like it shut down on me because of the fear that I was putting into every run. And it's no different than if you hear something in the bushes or you have your mind convinced that this is something that's actually like, it almost becomes a point where your body feels unsafe doing it anymore because you're just so worked up in, am I going to do a good job? And then like I talked about that kind of spiral into every other thought in your life. Um, And so it really came down to you're kind of like creating an unsafe environment in your mind when you go on a run. And I talk about a lot too, like wanting your runs to end. I mean, we all have ones that are like, I like your term hot garbage. Like (laughs) 
we all have those that are just so bad. But when you go out there every time and you want it to be over, you're creating like this space that like, I got to get this done. I got to get this over. And your, your mind just doesn't like it. Like it's telling your body that this is not good. Like we got to get this over with. Um, and so, yes, the, the anxiety around running can really start to snowball if you get so wrapped up in, is it going to be a good run? You know? Um, and I, like I talked to a lot of people just randomly, when I was at New York, like, you know, in the, when you're in like the little athlete village, there's just thousands of you sitting around and there was a lot of first timers there and they were like, Oh, it's, you know, you just make conversation. And then they would say, is it your first one? I was like, no, this is my eighth one. And like, Oh, any advice? And I'm like, the worst thing that can happen is you have to walk period. Like, and it's going to end like that. That's it. That That is the worst thing that can happen. Okay. Maybe you, if you don't finish it, you have to get carried off, but you're still going to, it's still going to end. Like, that that's it like if you think of it that way I'm like oh I never thought about that I'm like yeah like it will end it's a race regardless of what will happen it's gonna end and you're gonna be okay like period <laughs> you know as the year draws to a close it's often a time for reflection what happened this year where did I fall short and where did I surpass my expectations as runners, we typically evaluate our years by how fast we ran, how many miles did we run, how well did we perform. But there's another way to think about this too. How did I support my health this year? How much sleep did I get? How good do I feel? What can I do next year to make myself feel even better? For me, 2023 was the year of gut health, good gut health, finally. Taking the Prevenex probiotic has been very important for maintaining my good gut health with six clinically proven bacteria strains that promote six different areas of digestive health, along with a prebiotic to help all your critters thrive and flourish. The Prevenix probiotic is a staple in my daily routine. And now you can try it for yourself and save 15% off your first order using code RUNEXP. Just go to Prevenix.com and use code RUNEXP. That's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com using code RUNEXP to save 15% off your first order because you deserve good gut health. Something I have a lot of my runners do before when we're doing, especially for, for big races, right? For their, yeah. their, the races they're going after big goals for, um, I, I recommend actually all runners do this is that in their race plan, you know, essentially identifying ways that the race could go like ways yeah. that the race could go wrong right? <laughs> and yeah, like yeah. how, what they'll do about it and how they'll feel mm -hmm. about it. Right. And I think mm -hmm. identifying, you know, even just kind of naming it, right. It's, you have to yeah. name, name yeah. it to tame it. Um, mm -hmm. all this, you know, yeah, I've, I've been in a lot of therapy as well, you know, name it <laughs> yeah. to tame it, um, sure. yeah. <laughs> is it went away, but it's like, if you can, you know, cause I, I think a lot of times when we have this anxiety or even like non-specific anxiety about performing in a certain way or holding ourselves to a certain standard or expecting things to go in a certain way, it is, it is non-specific like, yeah. you know, and I've, you know, had issues with workouts and runs and it's like, but what are you afraid of? And like you said, you just said mm -hmm. in your experience in Chicago, you're like, yeah. I just feel so scared. Like, I don't yeah. know what I'm scared of, but mm -hmm. I just feel really scared. And yeah. sometimes like, okay, but what, what is the worst that could happen? Right. Yes. Like yes. you said, yes. and then if we name it like, okay, well, obviously it's not ideal, but right. it's not life or death. Right. It's yeah. not yeah. as bad as we think, like as, as our, as our nervous system, as our brain is telling us, you right. know, yeah, it's not exactly. a giant bear chasing you. Right. Like, no, like you said, no. worst that could happen is like, okay, so you DNF, like that sucks. Right. Yeah. But 
the yeah. world still turns. Yeah. And no one's going to know, no one's going to remember, you know, and you think, you know, my mind would always go to, oh my gosh, if I don't finish this, my family's going to be disappointed. I paid all this money to come out here. I spent all this time and, you know, my husband is, is going to be proud of me or whoever, you know, is your first person that you go to. Like he doesn't, I really don't even know if he knows my PR time. Like he, he's going to be proud of me regardless. Even if I didn't finish it, like the worst race I've ever had, he was so proud of me that I like didn't just walk off, which, which I could have. It probably would have been the smarter thing, but <laughs> I kept going. Um, but you know, you, you don't need, everyone's going to still love you even if you don't PR or you're not going to let anybody down except yourself. And you have to really come to terms with why am I, why do I feel like I'm letting myself down? Did you really let yourself down? And I guarantee if you really sit back and think about it, you didn't, you know, you just had a bad day period. That's it. And unfortunately bad days can fall on the big days and that's just, sports I mean turn on the tv and watch a sport and, and that that's when it happens you know and somebody always has to lose in other sports ours is everybody wins and that's why I love it <laughs> you know talk to me about your experience as a swimmer and being mm-hmm. in this competitive space um, a yeah. space in which we would expect that our young athletes are getting extra support, extra care, yeah. extra attention paid to their mental well-being. Unfortunately, yeah. it's not always the case. Yeah. Um, uh, when did you notice that? And obviously a lot of, I mean, as adults, right? We were like, oh yeah, no, this first started when I was six and a half years old, right? It always, there's always some, some, you know, we can trace it yeah. back. When did you start noticing, or I guess when, when did you be first become aware of this um, sensation around performance as an athlete, like this anxiety yeah. or this, this type of uh, fear? Yeah, I mean, I think I really started to notice it um, in high school was when I really started to like get on the map, I guess you could say, Um, you know, I I qualified for like the US nationals, um, I think when I was 16, yeah. Um, So going to that event at that age, you know, like that's where I'm a little bit old, I'm 36. Um, So like I swim, at the same meets as Michael Phelps, you know, like that's, that was my era. Um, and so it's almost like a double-edged sword when you qualify for something like that, then my mind immediately was like, I have to maintain this level forever. And that was so daunting, you know, because you, once you qualify the next year, it starts over and, you know, same, same with like Boston, things like that. You have to re-qualify. Um, and so that was just so terrifying. So then at the age of 16, qualifying for that, and then, you know, starting to recruit, starting to look at you for colleges, you know, you have to maintain that. And I did not have a flawless transition into my freshman year of college. Um, so I actually, my first two years of college went to the university or Purdue University, and then I transferred because I had gotten so what they would call slow. Um, And I was so miserable that I left and went back home and swam there through the summer and then transferred to a different college for my my last two years. Um, But yes, I think that being at, like I said, being at that level 
and then having to maintain that level was so terrifying. Um, and I hope that things have changed some since, you know, again, I've been retired for, I guess when I was 21, so almost 15 years now. Um, but as much as, yeah, like you said, like we want to think that they take care of the athletes, um, they, they did not. I mean, I remember never, ever really having a day off. Um, I remember many, many, many swim meets, swim practices, my goggles being full of tears and nobody would ever say like, are you okay? It would be, you need to do better. And I think that that being, you know, driven into me at such a young age was so hard for me to get over. Like, I feel like just now in my mid thirties, I was finally able to stop feeling that way um, because we weren't allowed to take a break ever. Um, if you were sick, unless you had a super high fever, you were at practice, period. You know, I remember one time getting a stomach bug. I hadn't eaten for like three days. And as soon as my fever broke, I had to be back in the pool. And at a two-hour practice, I hadn't eaten in days. Like everything had exited my body. I had nothing left, but I had to be there, you know. And that mentality is so hard to break. Um, and I just feel like people don't um, understand that. And I, I feel like parents, I don't know if parents listen, but I, I feel like parents don't get it. They don't understand that they can say something because they feel like, well, this is just what they have to do. You know, this is just what you do to be good. You know, but why are you wanting to be this good is the question, you know, and I always say, like, I would never take back my swimming career, um, but I wish so badly that it would have been different, um, you know, and I hope that by doing, talking about this, we can, like, make a change that kids do not have to go through this because it is detrimental, you know, I, that's a big word to use, but it, it, it's true. I mean, the things that I felt and experienced, and I know that I'm not alone, and that's why I say these things, because normally I would think, you like, you shouldn't say that, because I don't want people to think, like, oh, I want you to feel bad for me, like, no, I'm telling you, so that you guys can understand that this is what happens, and it needs to stop, um, you know, and we can, you know, talk, dive into a little bit about, you know, someone running or swimming, any of those things, your body is on display, and, you know, having to be able to find that balance of fueling yourself, but also feeling like you're looking good enough and you're looking fit enough. And the number of things that I was told about my body, as far as if I was fit, you know, if I was losing body fat, the bod pod, getting into the bod pods and testing body fat in front of everyone and having like the list posted. No, <laughs> you know, like I said, detrimental effects, well into my 30s and that's what really kind of broke the straw for me was that I've been married for 10 years and I have a four-year-old son and these things were still bleeding over into my life you know you would think oh just move on but no those things are ingrained in you and they carry over and that's what's so big to me is like sports yes it's just a sport but what you learn from that sport goes with you through your whole life. Um, and that's why it's so great, but also can be so 
dangerous. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a big use word to use, but I think I think it's true. Um, and physically dangerous. I mean, and we're talking, oh, especially. I mean, I think endurance sports have one of the mm-hmm. highest rates of disordered eating, and we oh, know yeah. that eating disorders have the highest mortality rate of any mental health disorders. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, we're talking about you know, especially I, I'm not saying there's an age limit on this too, because this can be an issue for anybody in their thirties, forties, fifties, sixties and beyond, but especially Mm -hmm. we're dealing with, you know, adolescent or young adult populations. Mm -hmm. Like my question as an adult, we're the same age. I'm also, I just turned 36 and (laughs) like thinking now in my mid thirties, I remember being 18, 19 years old and thinking, I'm an adult. I'm a fully formed, you <laughs> yeah, know, no. like I'm an adult now. <laughs> yeah. And it's not to say that our, you know, adolescents and college age students aren't obviously fully autonomous people, right. but they're not, you're, you're not done growing up. You're no. not done developing. No. There's so mm-hmm. much left and that we are essentially allowing these really vulnerable, highly talented, highly motivated, highly driven individuals enter into this pressure cooker that essentially is like, I mean, it's almost like, oh, if you, you succeed by essentially not being broken down and ground and spit out. Like I've heard from so many former athletes, division Mm -hmm. one, division two, division three, across all sports, team sports, individual sports from insanely toxic environments. So this is not everybody's experience. I'm sure a bunch of no. people have gone to college, been athletes yeah. in college and been like, it was literally the best experience of my entire life. Right. Yeah. Yes. But who for just from a performance standpoint, as a coach myself, and I'm sure mm-hmm. you as a per- sports professional, a doctor of physical therapy, like how is that environment? The one where you foster <laughs> the best performance? Like that's just insane yeah. to me. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's just, you know, I think a lot of, um, you know, what I experienced too was just this feeling of being trapped. You know, I didn't have the option to not do something. You know, you couldn't, the option to miss a practice wasn't there. And if you did miss it, you would hear about it. And, you know, a lot of the coaches would use this like, oh, so-and-so is not here today. This is not how you do it. And -and so-and-so has always been here and this is how you do it, you know? And it doesn't matter what cost it comes at. You know, if you are just beyond broken, it doesn't matter. You're here, you know, you're here and you're performing. And then if you don't perform, you better be prepared to hear it. And yes, it's not healthy at all and not enjoyable is I think really the big problem is that because it becomes it's not enjoyable anymore. And I felt like the problem that I was facing was that I was unhappy, but people would say, Oh, but you're so lucky to be at this level, you need to be thankful. But I'm like, Yes, I know this is a privilege, but I also work to get here. But I'm not happy. (laughs) You know, like it, it shouldn't it shouldn't be that way. You know, you should have a say in your sport. And I think that that is a lot of trouble that a lot of us see is that we, in our mind, we think that we don't have a say, like, and that's something that I've had to start, you know, telling myself and the athletes that I work with, like, if you don't want to run today, you don't have to, like, it's okay. If you don't want to do your speed work, you don't have to. If you don't want to strength train, be careful. You might get an injury, but you don't have to. You know, like 
there's no definite thing. And I feel like that is not what they teach in a sport. It is you have to do this, you know, and that's like why I really want to get this word out because I feel like with social media, there are so many things that say, do these three exercises and you will get better. Like, that's not how that works. <laughs> you know, everybody is different and these things will help you, but you are not stuck in having to do them. You know, it kind of goes back to those thoughts that if I do this, then this and this and this, and it's the same thing. Like I don't have to do this, you know, and you, I think that goes back to that anxiety and that pressure cooker thing that you don't have to feel like you have to do it. You know, it's your journey. It's your hobby. You can do it any way that you want to. And if you're not the best one that there ever was, well, then that's okay. <laughs> you know, life will move on. Um, but yeah, it, uh, I, you know, going back to that youth sports, I think that that is where a lot of kids just feel um, trapped in it. And then if they don't have it anymore, then who are they? You know, and I, I feel like for me, a lot of people were like, what is Leah going to do when she stops swimming? Because everyone knew me. Leah was the swimmer, like, period. And everybody was so concerned. And I was so relieved. The amount of relief that I felt was unreal. Like, I was just so, I think I, I said something about this the other day that the, my first Christmas break where I didn't have to go to practice, I cried every day because I realized what I had been missing, you know, and that's, that's when you really have to sit and look back and think what role is this playing you know, in my life. I want to talk more about the expectation of once I've achieved a certain level, I must, um, you know, that's my new minimum, right. For you qualifying for nationals yeah. for a lot of yeah. runners, it's qualifying for Boston or even running a sub four marathon or sub five marathon or sub two half yeah. marathon, whatever, whatever your thing is. Right. <laughs> I think yeah. there's a lot of, there's, there's an inflection mm -hmm. point for a lot of us as runners where we realize we've reached a certain point where it's like, obviously we worked very hard to get there, but now we're so terrified mm -hmm. of not maintaining that as yes. our new status, as our new, like, and it is, I feel like for some runners, it is a status thing, right? We can mm -hmm. point to, to within the running community, a lot of runners who will yeah. say, who will sure. say, you know, you're, you're accomplished because you've done this and you're not because you've done that. And people who are faster runners are, you know, the, right. the kind of elitism right. that unfortunately pervades a lot of what we do. But that's a sure. huge, I think, driver of yeah. making bad decisions in training out of fear, right? Because if I'm so, and I'll, I'll be yeah. fully honest with you, I mm -hmm. qualified for the Boston Marathon in 2021 and I ran it 2021. Yeah. And it was a big window because of COVID and anyways, I ended up running it this year. Long story short, what? since 2021, fall of 2021, when I ran my marathon PR and I ran a Boston mm -hmm. qualifier, I haven't run anything close to that. Not like not even freaking close. Right. But, but I have in the back of my mind and mm -hmm. hearing you talk about nationals and hearing this kind of expectation of myself is that, you know, I yeah. think for a lot of us, we expect as once we achieve, like you said, achieve a certain level. Oh my gosh, I must at all costs mm -hmm. attempt to hold on to that and attempt to get, but yeah. that's not how life works. Right. Especially because 99.9% .9 of us no. are nor we're hobby joggers. Yeah. We are amateurs. We are people with jobs and lives yes. and families <laughs> and children and parents and spouses and all these yeah. things. And like, 
it's okay if you're not always Mm -hmm. in this expected level of fitness all the time. Like you said, it's okay. It is okay. It is. And yes, I mean, I'm the you know, same boat as you. So my last like marathon PR was in 20 Chicago, 2018. So that was five years ago. And, you know, I did have a child in, in that time. Um, you know, but I was, it was like, I was ashamed that I couldn't get to those paces anymore. And and I really just kind of came to terms with that this year, you know, and so the, the two marathons that I ran after having a baby, I went an hour slower, a full hour, like 60 minutes. That was a lot of minutes. And I was so ashamed of that. But again, I've talked about it a lot. I learned a lot. I realized how much I was trying to cover up what I was really struggling with, with running. Um, but then also, you know, just life, like I said, my life is so different than before when I didn't have a child, I had all of this time to just run and come home and sit like that doesn't exist anymore. And I'm not saying that I'll never get back there. And for anyone else that's in that same boat, you don't have to give up on that, but you can still be proud of where you are at and meeting yourself where you're at you know that's a big one for me is that you have to meet yourself where you're at and and give yourself grace for where you're at don't try to force yourself to where you want to be you know meet yourself where you are and train from there and you know you can always be hopeful that you can get there but don't make it i have to run this pace or i am not as good as i used to be well, you may not be as fast, but that doesn't mean you're not as good. You know, you may be more consistent. You may be better with your nutrition. You may be better with your sleep. You may be better with strength training. You know, there are so many things that you can look at besides pace. And we all are Was very the expectation when you were swimming that um, you would essentially just keep getting faster every season, no matter what? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, it was almost like you'd hit this goal that you had, okay, boom, got it, move on to the next one. There was no like, um, excitement about it. You know, I remember going to Olympic trials, which I'm, I was from, I'm from Missouri. Like there's not many people produced from there. I live in Arkansas now, like it's small. Okay. And so to be at the Olympic trials was a big deal, you know, at that time. And I was 17, like big deal. And I didn't do well because I was terrified. Like that is a huge scene. You know, I have never been somewhere where there's like, you know, the national NBC, like broadcasting, you know, huge. And I did so bad and I got in so much trouble. And at the time I immediately like internalized it and thought, Oh, you know, you're the worst. But I'm like, wait a minute, looking back and I'm like, why weren't we excited that I was there? You know, but there was like, so like you said, there was never this like, okay, you, you got here, let's be excited instead of we got to move on, we got to move on, you know, they wanted me to try to make, you know, the finals, the finals of the Olympic trials, like, you know, there are those people there that do that, but that was not me. And why do we have to constantly get a goal and then immediately move on to the next one? Why can't we just be happy in that goal and try to maintain it if you want to or stop and just be proud of what you did? and and move on there's always this pressure to 
what are we going to do next? Um, and I, th- and I get that, you know, after a race, especially if you have a good one, you get really fired up. And if you have a bad one, you get even more fired up. Like <laughs> I'm going to go. And sometimes that usually ends up bad. There's nothing worse than suffering through more. the end of a race that's going badly. And in your head, you're already thinking, okay, in this next training cycle, I'm going to do this. And in my next <laughs> training cycle, I'm going to do that. And this is the season where <laughs> yes. I finally do this, you know? And yeah, yeah no, I completely can mm-hmm. understand yeah. oh, that. Yeah. I want to talk a bit about this, mm-hmm. you know, you, you get out what you put in mentality when it comes to the work and the results. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was just having a conversation with an athlete the yeah. other day about progressive overload. It's concept of progressive overload. And obviously it's a staple of how we yeah. gain fitness and you have to yeah. essentially your body will adapt to a certain level of uh, stimulus. You have to kind of keep, keep making it a little bit more challenging. Mm-hmm. Like broadly speaking, that's kind of the nuts and bolts of it. Um, right. But this, I was, you know, she had misconstrued this and I think very normally as one might do that progressive overload simply meant you just ran more. Like it was just about increasing your volume. Right. And oh yeah, explaining yeah. to her that right. like, well, we can't increase volume forever. Right. Or else we'd have elite runners who are running 500 miles a week. Right. Because more, yeah. you know, and that there are many different ways right, that progressive right. overload works and it's also cyclical and it's a very complicated process. But I think there is still this expectation amongst, especially very, very driven types of people who are used to essentially saying, if I put my head down and do mm-hmm. all of the work, I will get the result I'm looking for. Right. It worked in school. It works in my job. Yeah. It works in, you know, my personal life. It works in, yeah. I set these goals. I do the work, all the work, mm-hmm. and I get what I'm going for. And on some level athletics is like, you kind of have to, you have to do the work. Right. But you can't, you can't just say sure, I did sure. this work and I'm guaranteed this outcome. And if I do more work, my outcome will be better because we're humans. We're not machines. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, it it just unfortunately does not work like that. And I think a lot of times we forget that like our body doesn't just run. It does all the other things for us too. You know, so we are putting this demand on it and you have to look at all of those factors when you are thinking about your running and the hard work that you put in. Yes, you can put in the hard work, but what are the other things that you've been doing on top of it that can affect that? And unfortunately, like it just, some days are just bad, you know, and some races are just bad, but I think that you really have to look at the entire person and the entire person not just a runner but everything else that is going on in their lives um, because it, it makes such a difference and like there's so much research out there nowadays about pain and how pain is not just because something is broken or you have a tendonitis or whatever it is a lot of the mental side of it and the stress and and everything else and I think people just kind of don't realize that your body is doing so much more than just running. Like it's doing everything else that you're doing too. Um, and we don't factor that in there near as much as we should. And like you said, with that overload, you have to look at the other load that you're putting on yourself. And I think we forget about that so much. And I'm a big supporter of like, I, if I'm stressed, a run does not help me. 
And there are a lot of people that like feel ashamed of that. But like I talked about that stress level, if you're already here and then you do a run, it's not going to be good, you know? And I think people are afraid to admit that. And there's always like, oh, you know, this is my, people show their shoes and say, this is my therapy. Well, no, (laughs) it can be therapeutic. Absolutely. It can be therapeutic, but it's not a substitute for that. And you have to remember that that stress threshold, like we talked about, um, is very real. Um, And don't be ashamed if you don't feel better going on a run makes things better for you. Because for me, it absolutely does not. If I am stressed, there is no run that's going to happen. Um, And, and that is okay. And that has made me so much more consistent. And I, you know, a lot of the runners that I talk to, they feel the same way, just feel like when somebody gives them permission to not run, they just get this sigh of relief. Like they just needed somebody to give them permission. Um, And like, I think it goes back to why are you feeling this way? Like, why are you having these definite, like, I have to run. If I don't run, this is what's going to happen. And it's really not, it comes down to, no, you're just not going to run. That's it. (laughs) You know, it sounds simple and it's easy. Sometimes I think it's that, you know, we talk, all the time about, you know, consistency is really important. It's important to stay consistent, but consistency doesn't mean adhering to your schedule no matter what. No, no, no. I mean, and and those, you know, schedules are there to give you a guideline, but your life can't follow that perfectly, you know, And, and that's what they're there for is, is to guide you, but not dictate you. You know, and I think a lot, I think that's a lot of what happens in sports too, is it comes down to they're dictating what you can do when your body's really the one that is the only one that can dictate what you can do. Um, and I think we forget that a lot. Myself. So talk to us about some of the biggest you know, changes or things that you've really worked through in having a marathon that didn't include a panic attack. Cause that's huge. That's, that's wonderful that you didn't have that experience in New York. <laughs> yeah. And obviously I'm sure the work that you've done with your, yeah. you know, it has been very private with the, with the uh, people you've worked with over that journey, but what are some of the things that you really noticed or addressed that have made the biggest changes for you? Yeah, I think it really comes down to putting pressure on the runs, um, you know, because it it was, um, you know, like we talked about before, it would start spilling over into the morning that I woke up to do the run to the night before the run to as soon as I finished the last run, I was thinking about the next run I had to do. Um, and just really kind of taking that pressure off of the run, um, you know, and easy days, easy. I know you like that one. <laughs> um, just that's really something that I think people don't think about with the easy runs is that that is a great place to learn and to let go. You know, I really wasn't a big fan of the easy runs. Like I just thought, ew, I'm running slow. I don't like this. But really it give, gave me a sense of relief that I could go out there and, hey, I can run easy today and my pace does not matter. And I can just let myself be out here and be in the run. Um, And I think that that really helped me let go of those strange expectations that I don't even know where they were coming from. They were all from me, you know, internalized. Um, But just letting go of those expectations and just truly enjoying the run. And I used to get so irritated and be like, oh, just have fun well, this isn't fun. (laughs) You know, like you can't say that to someone in the moment. 
Um, but just, I kind of also had to just reiterate to myself that I was safe and that I was in control of the run in control in that you can't always control your pace, but you can control how much you are going to run, how far you're going to run, what you're going to do after that run. You know, if it wasn't good, I have control to say it wasn't good. I'm going to move on. No one's going to tell me, Oh, you're terrible. If you do have a coach that's telling you that, let's talk and move on. Yeah. Let's move on from them. Um, but you letting yourself realize that you are in control, not of the run, but in control of your thoughts and the outcome as far as how you feel about it. Um, and that was really what I carried with me through New York. Um, because the first like three miles, my heart rate was so high, but, and normally that would just freak me out. Um, but I knew it was because I was excited. And so I had to really get into a good mental space. It's like, you're, you're okay. Like your heart rate is high, but you are okay. And I did hurt at the end. And I think that was because my heart rate was so high, but that's okay. You know, I was okay. And I think that the last marathons I did, my heart rate was really high because they were Chicago and you're just smashed in there with all these people. And it's fun. Don't, that's not a bad thing. It is fun. Um, but that's what, what happened is I got, my heart rate got so high and I immediately thought, oh no, I can't maintain this pace. Here it comes. Like I'm going to have to slow down and I can't breathe. Now I'm slowing down. Now I'm a failure. Now everybody's going to be mad at me. No one's going to be mad at me, but that was where it went. And it just, snowballed and I couldn't control it um so really coming down to again control and I think that's a lot of the issue that all of us have is control I think that's why a lot of us like to run because it's something that we can control you know we feel like we can but that's where things go wrong is you don't think you could control it anymore um the running controls you and it it shouldn't be that way something you said Um, at the beginning of our conversation um reminded me kind of coming full circle, I guess, is that sometimes it, it feels like the more tightly you're grasping onto something, the more it's slipping away. Right. So if the more, like you said, being in this Mm, place mm -hmm. of, you know, oh, I want to become, I I need to do better. So I need to run more. But when I run more, I need more sleep. And also I, I'm, you know, spending time away from my family and my child. And I feel like a bad mom. And then, and you feel like you said, kind of trapped. And it's like, the more you want it, it's like, no, we're, you know, Mm -hmm. and paradoxically, sometimes with this, we, I think run it, we all kind of come to this point in our, I would hope in our relationship with running, where we go through this phase of, you know, at first it works, right? We go, we, we're like, we go after this goal. We're kind of grasping it. We're like, I'm going to be pointing ourselves yeah. in the right direction. But then yeah. there comes a point where something happens and you have to learn how to let go. Like it doesn't mean you can't still yes. perform yes. very well, Absolutely. but you got to stop trying to control right. everything. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah, the, the, yeah, the lack of con- the us wanting to have control and the lack of control that we actually have over our runs is what is so hard, you know, because we want to control that pace and we want to control how our body feels, but but sometimes you just can't. And that I think that that is where a lot of that fear comes from in sports is that you just really don't know what's going to happen, and that's what some people get that thrill off of, and some people don't get a thrill, and it, it scares them to death. 
Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting to kind of see athletes and their different personalities. Like some of them that are the best in the world are so arrogant and you think, Ooh, like, but that's what makes them so good is because that, that kind of stuff doesn't control them, you know? And, and I think that finding that balance, I don't think we all need to be arrogant, but <laughs> just finding that balance of, of understanding and letting go it. it is huge. The letting go. And you also hear some of the greatest big, athletes yeah. talk about, you know, in their, in their really good performances, kind of plunging into the unknown. Right. I think about mm -hmm. Molly Seidel in Tokyo, yeah. right? Yeah. Like that was, I mean, for, I'm sure yeah. she was probably mm -hmm. a little terrified, but yeah. you know, that was something that was exciting yeah. and motivating. Right. Rather than, I think a lot of us would be in the situation and be like, mm -hmm. I don't know what's yeah. going to happen. Therefore, you know, and, but I, you know, there are, especially yes. for endurance, right. You spend a yeah. long time in a great deal of discomfort sometimes as a kind mm -hmm. of nature of our sport where yeah. plunging into that, I don't know what's going to yeah. happen and it's probably going to hurt a lot, but I'm going to go find out, right. To be in that mode of curious rather than if right. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, I don't want to mm -hmm. go there. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. And I feel like that is, all the personalities that come to running is that we just like the numbers and the control and the check off the box and do this and do that. But yes, that excitement of the unknown is what we need. And the possibility, instead of, you know, focusing on the possibility of how bad it can be, think about the possibility, not necessarily of how good it can be, but just the opportunity that can be there. You know, it doesn't have to be that the opportunity is only a PR, you know, you could just have so much fun out there. And I, I again, I don't like it. People say, Oh, just have fun. Um, because when you're suffering, it's not fun. But in the moment, you know, you can enjoy that or enjoy all those miles that you already put in or, you know, any anything you, you can find something to be proud of. Which I would is, argue again, that the uncertainty is actually what makes it the most important because if you stand at the start line and I said, Leah, no matter yeah. what happens today, I'm going to guarantee you that you're going to hit your goal. You'd be like, okay, then what's the point, right? Yeah. That takes away the magic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really does. And you know, I, it's like, I like to, you know, before a race, I think, okay, in four hours or however long it takes me, this is going to be over you know, and like, that's kind of exciting, you know, like, and instead of wishing it to be over, think, okay, I have this a lot of time, that a lot of cool stuff can happen, you know, and so much does happen in those races, you know, think of back to all the races that you've done, and the excitement, and the things that happened in that small amount of time, and I think that people forget that, that you have, yes, it can be scary that it's only, you know, two hours, four hours, five hours, but man, so much great stuff happens in that time frame, you know, and, and instead of thinking, oh, good, and this amount of time is going to be over, I think, man, what can I do in these next couple hours that's going to be just awesome, regardless if it's fast, whatever it is that you do, you know, what Even can the you next do in these hours? 20 minutes, right? Um, like for our short, never shorter gonna... distances. Yeah. Right. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever race you're doing. Yeah. I mean, whatever it can be really exciting. And I think if you view it in that, wow, this opportunity, what can I do in this time frame? instead of, oh my, I have a lot of hard things I have to do right now. Um, it can just totally change you. You just, you just feel lighter, <laughs> you know, you just feel better. You know, it's just like, when a, I started thinking about my races as like adventure sagas, 
Because if you listen to, if you ask any runner to give, yeah. give me a detailed race recap, right? Yeah. Oh, we're going to get a story, right? We're going to go. And at mile yeah. seven, I, I, yeah. I linked oh, up absolutely. with this group and we were together, like, you know, <laughs> yes. it, it, it becomes, and I think if we, if yeah. we step back and kind of look at this from like, what's, you know, we allow mm -hmm. ourselves to look at, like you said, these races or even workouts, right. As this opportunity for like, what's going to happen, yeah. something cool, something interesting is going to happen. Um, and really reframing that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. It, it's, it's huge just to, again, take that pressure off of yourself and take that control away and use it as an unknown and use it as an opportunity is, is the best way to go about it. Um, because it is an opportunity and, you know, again, I don't like when people say, well, it's a privilege. It is a huge privilege. You know, you have to have the time and the money and it is a huge privilege. So just being there and enjoying that opportunity that you get to do it is going to make all the difference in the world. And I think it's going to make you appreciate it even more. Not that we don't appreciate what we're able to do, but sometimes I think we lose sight of that. I, I know I do, you know, it takes, um, you know, it takes a lot to get out there and do what we're doing. And so you should be proud of just that. 100%. You know? um, yeah. Leah, thank you so much yeah. for being here today yeah. and sharing your story and your journey yeah. and all the, like I said, the twists and turns that I think a lot of our lives can take with this. Um, if people are not following you, they totally should be because yeah. you're wonderful, but tell our listeners how they can connect yeah. with you. Well, thank you. Yeah. So I am on Instagram. Um, so you can follow me on there. Um, yeah, pitch it girl. <laughs> you know, like Instagram handle or, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it's, um, Leah dot runs and then underscore DPT. Um, and then, yeah, I'm a, a coach with, um, train smart run strong, which I'm sure most people know who that is too, Victoria. So I've teamed up with her and yeah, I would love, I, I love when people reach out and tell me things or, you know, I'm truly here to like, listen. And that is the biggest thing as me being a PT is that's what I'm used to is when I treat a patient, I'm with them for months. Um, so I get to know you and that's, that's, that's what I'm here for. I just want to get to know people and, and get, help you understand that you are any probably dark thought that you've had about running or anything like that. You are not alone. And please don't think that you are. And I can guarantee if you just say it, people yeah, the will people, say, oh, me too. People on Instagram are saying, I love all <laughs> so my runs friends. no matter what. They're all amazing. Those people are lying. <laughs> nope, nope. Even elite runners They're hate lying. their They're job sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. No. Well, thank you. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.